Well, a huge thank you to the Renshaw family for such a fantastic rendition of that, of that story, which in fact is really quite a dire story, isn't it? It's a story of conflict and murder. It's a story of punishment and vengeance, of alienation and fear. It also ends up being the story of the corruption of marriage too. What we discover in this story is that the rebellion of Adam and Eve has far-reaching consequences, not only for them, but for their children, for their children's children, and for society as a whole. God's promise that they will be like him in creativity and responsibility still happens, but imperfectly through painful childbirth and hard work for them to provide food for themselves. And here in chapter 4, we have some more firsts. We have the first pregnancy. We have the first birth. We have the first family, the first crime. We have the first death. We also have the first dysfunctional family. We read two of the first laborers as they work the land and tend their flocks. We learn of the beginning of worship of God. God has banished Adam and Eve from his garden but not from his involvement in their lives. Eve's acknowledgement at the beginning of the chapter of God in the birth of her son, the bringing of offerings by her sons to God, demonstrates a life that's um, started in Eden but continues beyond Eden. Very different from the life they knew, but they're still in relationship, albeit distorted, with their creator God. Now, for those who may be joining us for the first time, you've come into the third of our series, More Than a Sunday School Story, and we've looked already in previous weeks at the account of Adam and Eve, God creating man and woman in his image and in his likeness for connectedness and relationship with himself and with each other. And then last week, we saw the beginning, the very sad beginning of that breakdown of relationship between God and humanity And despite the damage, we discovered that God's character didn't change. It doesn't change. He continues to show grace to Adam and Eve, offering them a hope for the future. And he continues to protect them despite their disobedience and their rebellion. Well, today we come, as you've seen, to the story of Cain and Abel. And I'm going to spend most of our time focusing on Cain and the choices that he makes through the story. You may want to turn to Genesis 4 if you haven't already and follow the story in your Bible. So choice number one. The first choice is to worship God. Cain and Abel both made a choice to worship God Abel Abel brought the best that he could offer. The writer tells us in verse 4, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Whereas it would seem that Cain just brought some of the fruits of the soil, not necessarily his prized crop, although we don't know. So why did God not accept this offering from Cain? Well, if we read these verses without the hindsight of uh, the law in the Old Testament or the knowledge that we read about this story in the New Testament, we may be forgiven for feeling a bit sorry for Cain because it doesn't really seem clear, does it? All he seems, um, he seems to be the one who led the way in bringing his worship to God. The problem is we don't really know. And possibly neither did Cain or Abel either. But for some reason, God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. Again, we don't know how they knew that theirs was acceptable. Was it because a fire came down and consumed it? We're not told. However, what we are told, what we do know, is that Cain wasn't happy 
with what happened. Cain was so upset. Why? Why was Cain so angry? Well, I wonder if it's as simple as this, that God didn't do what Cain wanted. Cain wanted God to do life by his rules. He wanted God to be pleased with what he had decided was acceptable. He wanted God on his terms. And I wonder, is this not a cry that is echoed by us, by our world today? God doesn't do things how we want him to, so we get cross with him. Some want to negotiate with God because he says there's only one way to heaven through his son Jesus. Some are cross because of the suffering in the world and they get cross at God. Perhaps cross and angry with God because life seems so unfair. What we see gradually outworking here in this story of Cain and Abel is the rift that has taken place between God and humankind, that sin has taken root. The fruit that develops from that root is pride, pride that we know better than God. And so distrusting God comes. We distrust God's love and his sovereignty. That was the same distrust that led Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit in the garden. So perhaps the question that the the writer of Genesis here wants us to wrestle with is a simple one. Is God not free to act as he wills without asking for our permission? And maybe another one, do we trust him to act righteously as the God of love? You see, I think what we discover here is that we were created to be like God, not to be God. We were created to reflect God's image, to share in his character, even his glory, the Bible tells us, but not to be him. We are the created and he is our creator. The Bible uses lots of imagery to describe this, doesn't it? In Jeremiah, God speaks of himself as the potter and his people as the clay. And in Paul, Romans uses the same illustration. Has the potter not the right to make what he wants out of a piece of clay, Paul asks. And then, of course, the very familiar imagery of the sheep and the shepherd, the picture of us and of God. We are the sheep led, cared for, fed by the shepherd. But the sheep cannot in any way try to be the shepherd. If we fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, we find that Abel is named in the great list of saints for his faith. In stark contrast to this response that we see here from Cain, Abel gave his offering with faith. It was a condition of his heart that pleased God. So that takes us on to choice number two, which I hope will help to unravel a bit more the issue of this offering that Cain and Abel bring. Well, Cain's next choice was to allow anger to take root in his heart. I think this is absolutely amazing, don't you, that God comes and speaks with Cain. He wants to help him to understand. He doesn't ask him why he brought his particular offering. Rather, God asks him, why are you fed up? Why are you angry? God gently points out to him the problem If you do what is right, God says, will you not be accepted? At the point that Cain discovered his offering wasn't accepted, he had a choice. He had the choice of talking with God about why, about um, how, about where he went wrong. 
He had the opportunity to learn and to grow from his mistake. He had the opportunity to learn more about the character of God. But instead, he chose to be angry. Instead, he chose to display his hurt pride. He was so angry, he was humiliated, and he was incredibly jealous of his brother. But God, always in his grace, he gives Cain a way out at this point. He gives him a moving warning, doesn't he? Sin is crouching at your door, he says. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You have a choice, Cain, God says, to deal with that pride, with that anger in your heart. God's saying, Cain, you're responsible for your actions and your reactions. There's now a a battle going on within you between right and wrong, between good and evil. And if you let sin in, it's going to devour you. It's going to consume you, overtake you. You must choose to control it. What we see is that Cain is on a slippery slope. His response to God has shown the sin that is crouching at the door of his heart and of his mind. The reality is, isn't it, that if we push God out, we inevitably will let something else in. And only God sees what we let in. Only God sees what is on our hearts and in our minds. Anger, pride, bitterness, lust, they'll all seek to have a place in our lives if we fail to let God have that first place in our lives. So if we strip it all back, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do we trust God? Do we trust God? Do we believe that he, as our creator, knows what is best for us? That he will make the right choice for us, even if we don't understand what he's doing. I wonder if Paul in the New Testament had Cain and Abel in mind when he wrote in Ephesians 4.27, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I wonder if Jesus had this story in mind when he taught his disciples. He said, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you, must find, you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. If we come back to uh, this story, what I found really unsettling is that Cain and Abel were on their way to worship God. They were worshipping God and yet Cain's heart was so far from God. And if you read on, In Jesus' teaching, he says this, This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately and go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Am I willing to let God speak to me? Am I willing to let God deal with those things that lurk in my life, those things that are not pleasing to him? Am I willing to trust him to be in charge?
to be Lord of my life, to be Lord of my heart and my mind? Or have I become proud and self-sufficient, pushing God out and allowing the devil to get in his toe or even his foot in the door of my life? These are challenging questions that we hear as we see God speaking to Cain. And the sad thing is, as we come on to choice number three of Cain's, is that Cain chooses and decides to ignore God's advice. In fact, Cain chooses to lie. He chooses to speak back to God. And having rejected God's advice, his anger and his jealousy consume him and he murders his own brother, someone made in the image of God. We continue, don't we, to see the effects of broken relationship with God causing chaos and hatred between brothers and uh, the family. Rather than nurturing and building up one another in love, caring for one another as God had designed in the Garden of Eden, selfishness takes hold. And you don't have to look very far back into our own history, do you, to see the fruit of sin, the fruit of our disconnectedness and rejection of our Creator. We see it in war, in genocide, in racial prejudice, in deceitful and corrupt governments. But I want to bring it closer to home this morning. As we've prayed for Lebanon this this morning, I know none of us will have been unaffected by the events that have happened. They've shocked the world, haven't they? But I think they underline God's warning to Cain for us. Because just as those badly stored chemicals needed just the right environment to cause untold damage as they did, So undealt sin in our hearts will eventually do the same thing to us and those around us. For Cain, that was anger in his heart that he chose not to deal with that led to the murder of his own brother. So again, I ask the question, are are we willing to listen to God or are we going to ignore his voice to us? What lurks in our hearts this morning? Are we angry against God for for something that we don't understand? Or are we angry against someone that God loves, that someone has called us to love? Bitterness, envy, lust, greed, deceit. What stash of chemicals needs to be safely dealt with in our own lives that needs to be removed from us before it causes harm to ourselves and those around us. I said this was a dire story, but I want to finish on an amazing choice that God made. I think there's only one place to finish this story. It's not with the bad choices of Cain, but with the incredible choice that God has made for blessing and life. Throughout this whole story, throughout Genesis so far, there's a thread of grace, isn't there? We discovered it last week even through the story of the fall. The grace of God, that even though Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, he still blessed them with children, and he still continued in a relationship with them. And here in this story, God's grace speaks to Cain. He gives him the opportunity to defeat that sin in his heart. 
And then we see God's grace. He doesn't treat Cain as he deserves, even though Cain complains about it. He puts a mark on him so that no one will touch him, despite what he has done. We didn't cover it in the story, but if you read to the end of the chapter, you find that one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, boasts about murdering somebody, just over a tiff, over nothing important. And he also begins to defy God's plan for marriage by marrying two women. What we see is the deepening effects of trying to do life without God. But God's grace ends the chapter as Seth is born to Adam and Eve. God keeps his promise that from the woman's seed a deliverer will come. You know, God never gives up on us. God never stops loving us. His grace weaves like a gold thread throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. So we're all faced with one choice this morning as we come to a close. And that is, will we step into God's grace? Perhaps for the first time this morning, you've heard of God's grace, of his love for us, despite the fact that we reject him. Will you step into that grace this morning? Or perhaps you know of God's grace and you need for the hundredth millionth time to step again into his grace and receive his love and his forgiveness. The first murder we read of, an unnecessary death brought about by anger and jealousy. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus, as the mediator of a new covenant, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does he mean? Well, generations after Cain, God's own son, was murdered. Jesus died on a cross. Taking, the Bible says, the punishment for sin, which is death. The punishment that each one of us deserve. But Jesus died to give us a brand new life, to give us a brand new start, to make us alive in him. No longer having to try and do things in our own strength, making those decisions by ourselves. But he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to help us as we continue in this battle against sin. He's given us that desire in our hearts to be ready to listen to his word, to open his Bible, to hear what he has to say to him. He's given us a new heart that desires to follow him wholeheartedly, that doesn't let anything else take his place. What amazing grace that's reached out and saved a wretch like me. What amazing grace that's reached out and saved a wretch like you. God longs for us to trust him. It's written all over this, over this story that God is longing for Cain to trust him. God longed for Cain to let go of his pride. God longs for us to let go of our pride, to let go of our self-sufficiency, to let go of all of those things that stop us from following him and enjoying the freedom of knowing him. God longs for us to live in freedom, in freedom that only his grace can bring to us. Do you want to be covered in that grace this morning? Do you want to experience that love this morning? It's God's love and grace that restores our relationship with him. But not only with him, with ourselves and with each other too. We're going to sing now about God's amazing grace. And as we do, let's think about the choice 
that we have. Will we make the choice this morning to worship God with our whole hearts? Will we make the choice not to allow anything else to take root in our lives? Will we make the choice not to ignore God, but to listen when he touches us and prompts us about those things that need to be dealt with? Will we choose this morning to love God wholeheartedly with our whole lives?